I'm excited to get into this message this morning as we finish up this series that's called We Are the Church. If you have your Bible with you, I'll ask you to, that you open them up to the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans is found in the New Testament. My name is Juan, by the way. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Berwyn Cicero. Excited to have you here. That was my wife who led announcements earlier. And uh, just let me piggyback off what she said, how incredible it was to hear that uh, through our church here, we sponsored over 60 young people through Angel Tree. Again, give God some glory for that. Uh, this program, I don't know if you know what Angel Tree does. It works through the Salvation Army, but they are children of parents who are incarcerated. And um, they can't, you know, you, uh, enjoy a typical Christmas like maybe other children would. And they ask people to help sponsor those children of people who are incarcerated. And uh, organizations like the church and other businesses step in and bless those children. And it was just so good hearing from the team, uh, Violet, Claudia, all of them who organized it, just to say, man, when we bless the children, like we, we really bless the children, okay? Like some people went above and beyond uh, what the cards asked for. And that was just so cool to see. And it reminded me again just how generous our church is. So thank you for being generous this season. All right, we are finishing up this series, We Are the Church. We've been going through this the last couple of weeks kind of to get a better understanding of what is the church. When you ask most people, what is the church, you might get an answer like a building. And we've been learning that the church is not a building. The church is the people of God. Um, we've been learning that the church is a place where people come to belong, where they learn to believe, and then they become who God has called them to be. And the goal of this series was really to define what the church is and what it is not. We began two weeks ago talking about that the church is called to be the body of Christ. Many parts coming together, uniquely made, uniquely gifted, different talents, different abilities, different passions, different pursuits that God has placed on our hearts, but coming together to form one living, dynamic organization known as the body of Christ. In the body, every part is valuable. There's no part of your human body that is not valuable. In this body, every part is valuable. One part impacts the other, and when we are connected, we are united under God, and God moves in the church. Last week, we learned that the church has a language. We called it body language. That was a pretty cool title, right? I thought so. Um, but the language of the body is encouragement. When you come here, your goal should be to encourage somebody. We saw that Paul, when he was in a prison, very discouraged position to be in, yet was intentional to encourage somebody. We see it as cooperation, not only amongst ourselves, but with God to encourage one another. We encourage through inspiration, and that inspiration should lead through good works. This week, I'd like to speak with you about the topic of being heaven-sent, that when we think about the church, the church is the people that God has sent forth, that God has sent forth. If you've been part of our church for any amount of time, you know my stance on the whole debate of Michael Jordan and LeBron James, okay? It's a no-brainer. Michael Jordan is the goat, hands down, okay? Now, if you're a LeBron James person, we'll pray for you, and we'll pray that you get delivered from that spirit of confusion. Um, but uh, Jordan is the goat, hands down. However, um, in 2007, as LeBron James was entering the NBA, Nike, who was his sponsor, began a campaign, and they titled this campaign, We Are All Witnesses. I have a picture here of some of the ads that Nike uh, put up for LeBron, and what was the message of this campaign was that 
um, we were witnessing this young star, you know, come into his own and hopefully one day uh, complete his mission of becoming an NBA champion. And in cities like Cleveland, where LeBron played, I have another picture here, these ads blew up like entire sides of buildings. I mean, uh, LeBron was from Ohio, he was a local kid, he was a local product, and the city made, you know, he was one of their own, so they celebrated him. And this campaign of all of us being witnesses to uh, LeBron James coming into his own, but like anything in culture, you can see there the picture on the right, it didn't last forever, right? In 2010, when LeBron took his talents to South Beach, what happened to the posters? They tore them down. And people began burning their LeBron jerseys and everything until he came back, you know, and redeemed himself in Cleveland. But that was interesting, the purpose to see LeBron, to witness LeBron become a champion. When I think of that slogan, we are all witnesses, that comes from the word of God. Did you know that? Did you know that term comes from God's word? We'll get there in a minute. But... Remember, God creates the church. The church is something that God creates. He forms it, God fills it, and God gives it function. Everything that God makes, God forms, God fills, and God gives function. God created human beings. Uh, He filled us with the breath of life, with his presence. He formed us, he filled us, and he gave us function. What was man's function? We learned in the previous series that our function is to work. Our function is to worship him, and our function is to dominate the earth. God says, go and have dominion over the earth. And God created the church, this divinely created, divinely empowered church that functions for the purposes of God. And what is the function of the church? Well, it's multifaceted, it's far-reaching, it's dynamic, it's life-giving. We are one body called to be united, built up, encouraged for one another. So the function of the church is multifaceted. We could go through weeks and weeks and weeks to fully cover what the you know, uh, function of the church is. But the mission of the church, the mission of the church is to be witnesses, to be his witnesses. And I want you to know today that you are sent by God, that when you are a believer, you are a person who is sent. The God that we serve is a God of mission. He is a God of mission. So if we are to be his people, we need to be on mission as well. I feel like I'm a little bit loud here. I don't know if we could maybe lower a little bit. Um, This theologian, Christopher J.H. Wright, he writes this here, look at this quote, talking about the Bible. He says, the whole Bible tells us the story of God's mission through God's people and his word for the sake of God's purposes and for the whole of God's creation. Mission is just not one of the things that the Bible happens to talk about, only a little bit more urgently than some. Mission is what it's all about. And you could look at the Bible as God's mission of redeeming and restoring mankind. And all throughout the mission, God is a God who's constantly sending people. God is a God who sends uh, to advance the mission forward. From Genesis, we see where he sends Abraham into a new land, God is sending someone forward. To the book of Revelation, at the very end of the book, God sends an angel to give the revelation vision to John. God is a God who sends 
In the Old Testament, that word sends in Hebrew is the word shalach. And we see over 200 times God sends people, he sends men, he sends women, he sends prophets to pronounce his plan to the people. One of the most famous prophets that he sent was a prophet known as Isaiah. And in Isaiah 6, 8, we see Isaiah having this vision of heaven and of how big God is. And he sees a God of mission. And this is what the book of Isaiah says. Isaiah says, then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah answers and he says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Here's someone who understands that God is a God who sends. The Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi with the promise of another one coming who will be sent to be a forerunner for the Messiah. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, this is what God says through the prophet. He says, look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Now, Malachi wasn't speaking about Jesus. He was speaking about John the Baptist, another sent one who was going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. The, the Old Testament ends with the foretelling of John the Baptist coming. And in the, gospel, uh, in the gospel message, we see who comes to the scene. John comes to the scene. And in the New Testament, this message continues of us having a God who sends. The language is found all throughout the Gospels, all through the book of Acts and the epistles. In the Gospel of John particularly, over 60 times we see the word sent or send. Usually titles like the God who sends and Jesus being the sent one. One of Jesus' longest recorded prayers in the book of John chapter 17. Jesus prays this for his disciples. He says, make them holy by your truth. This is Jesus praying to God the Father for the disciples, for us. He was praying for current disciples, for future disciples. Look at the words of Jesus. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is the truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. This is Jesus proclaiming that he is the sent one. And because we are his followers, we are also sent out into this world. I'm telling you, you're heaven sent. Jesus, after he goes to the cross and after he resurrects, he's meeting with his disciples. It's Resurrection Sunday. Some of them can't believe it. They don't believe that he's alive. They think he's seeing things. And Jesus is still teaching them in the book of John chapter 20, verse 20 and 21. Jesus says this, and as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, right? Because they were doubting. They were doubting that Jesus was really with them again. And he says, no, it's really me. Look at my hands. Look at my side. This is where they pierced me. This is where they put me on that cross. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said something. So this is, this is key here. This is key because this is Jesus resurrected. And now the people are filled with joy because they know that it's him. And what does he do? He says, peace be with you. He says, stay calm. And he reminds them, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What Jesus is doing here is he's drawing a straight line between his mission and your mission. He's saying, just as God has sent me here to proclaim the good news 
that people could be made right with God. In this moment, the resurrection was the moment that makes it possible. Jesus is reminding the people, just as I have been sent to proclaim this message, now I am sending you out into the world to proclaim the same message. There is a straight line between the mission of Jesus and the mission that he gives all of us as his followers. So what does that mean? That means if you are a believer, you are sent into this world to live on mission for him. This idea should guide the purpose and the mission of the church. And here's the first point I want to make today. And if you're taking notes, you could write this down. The church, the church of the living God, whether it's New Life Community Church or any church that you're a part of that proclaims the good news of the gospel of Jesus, the church is the place where every believer can live on mission with God. The church is the place where you come and you say, I am a follower of Christ, and if the Lord sent him as Jesus spoke, he has sent me out into the world. That is my mission. That is my mission. I love how one um, missionary, he tweeted, he said, go on a mission trip, walk next door. I love that. Because some of us have the idea a mission trip is some faraway country or some other place in the world that you got to fly and give up your family and, and, and leave everything behind to fulfill. But, but, but your mission sometimes is your neighbors, it's your family, it's your work, it's the people in the church, it's your community, it's here where we live. That is the mission and we are the church and we are sent by God. And this is the place where you get to live on mission for God. That's what the church is, a place to live on mission with God. The mission, let's clarify what the mission is because again, God forms, God fills, and God gives function. Um, in the book of Matthew, Jesus said, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. That tells us that who built this church? Did man build the church? Is the church a man-created thing? No, the church is a God-created thing. Jesus built the church. So he forms it, and then in the book of Acts, we see that he promises to fill the church and to give it function. So the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. This is Jesus again teaching his disciples after the resurrection. And he's promising, I've formed you, I will fill you, and I will give you a function. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus promising to fill the church with what? With the power that it needs to live on mission. He says, I will send the Holy Spirit, you will receive it, and it will come upon you, and here's the function. Then you will be my what? Witnesses. We are all witnesses. You will be my witnesses. How? Telling people about me. Where? Everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. If you're not familiar with the geography, when Jesus was speaking this, he was in Jerusalem. That was the closest circle. Judea was the next biggest geographical area. Samaria then stretched it out a little bit further. So you can see Jesus is speaking in concentric circles. And he's saying, you will tell everyone about the good news of the gospel in your tightest circle, your little bit bigger circle, make your circle even bigger than that, and even to the ends of the earth. So literally, Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses where? Everywhere. Everywhere. 
What is the mission of the church? To share the gospel by being his witnesses and telling others. Here's the second thing I want to share with you today. We are sent. We are heaven sent. New life doesn't send you. Pastor Mark Job doesn't send you. Your parents don't send you. God himself sends you to do what? To share the good news with others and to have a mindset that's missional, to have a mindset that operates on mission. This is so important because Jesus doesn't leave any other options here. Jesus says, this is what my followers will do. You will be my witnesses and you will tell people about me until the ends of the earth. That means that Jesus doesn't leave room for a believer just to attend church, to come here and sing some good songs, you know, do some good deeds, and claim to be a Jesus follower. That's not enough for Jesus. We are the church. We are sent into the world to share the love of God and the message of the cross to everyone, to everyone. Now, for us to do this, we need to rethink the way we see church. There needs to be a paradigm shift when it comes to the mission of the church. Um, to be missional, that means we participate in God's mission of advancing the gospel forward to all the nations. That's what Jesus called us to do. He said, you're all our witnesses, and, and, and you will tell everyone everywhere about me. So to be mission-minded is to tell everyone about the good news of Christ, right? Sending people out. Now, here's the issue. Typically, when we think about church, people think about church in two directions. In two directions. Just track with me. Um, in two directions. One of the directions where most people think about church is the up direction. The up direction. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is people see the church as a place where they come to get closer to God, to move up a little bit, to move up in my relationship with him. How do we do that? Well, we study God's word, right? We break open the Bible. We preach the word. We have baptisms. We mentor. We take communion together. And we all draw closer to God. And some people see the function of the church as just being an up function. Help me get closer to God. And you know what? All of that is true. We do that. And that is one of the reasons why we exist, to help bring you closer to God. Praise God for that, right? Now, another direction that the church, or people believe that the church exists, is an in direction, the direction of in. So we have up, help me get closer to God, and then we have the in direction. And, and many people think the church exists for services, to provide services, not just a Sunday service, but, you know, uh, have good worship music, and we do, praise God. You know, have the kids' zone functioning, and we do, praise God. We just saw that today. You know, have life groups where people could come and be part of the community and, and get together and not be alone and feel like they're supported and they're loved, and we do that. You know, have seminars once in a while. You know, train us to be better believers or better parents or better husbands, better wives, uh, we have all that, and all of that is true. Some people say that the direction of the church should be in to, imp to improve the life of the members, of the people that are here, and it should serve an in function, and we have that, and praise God that we have that. Now, there's a direction that's sometimes left out. We have the up direction, and we have the in direction, 
But what's sometimes left out of people's minds when they think about the church is the out direction. The out direction. And honestly, the reason why the church exists is to train people up in what? And send people out. You are in a church building for maybe 90 minutes a week. If you're in groups, a little bit more. But you're in your job 40, 50, 60 hours a week. You're with your family a lot more than that. And, and, and you are much more effective vehicle and vessel for the kingdom of God outside the church than you are inside the church. And this is sometimes a part that's missing. This is sometimes the parts that's missing. So it's common uh, for people who have an in-direction and an up-direction, and I get this all the time. I get this so much. Uh, people will say, you know, I'm praying for a coworker, or I'm praying for my spouse, and, or I'm praying for my child, and they're coming this Sunday. So you get them, Juan. You better get them. You better get them because I'm getting them here. You get them. And I'm like, what am I, a, a guard dog or something like that? <laughs> what do you mean go get them? Like, okay, I, I got them. You go get them. You are a witness just as much as I am. And if anything, you spend more time with them than I do. Right? You see, that's where the, the shift is of the thinking of the church. It's not only up, it's not only in, but it's out, it's out, it's out. All of us are witnesses. We are all witnesses. Every person here, I want to say in some way, has experienced the goodness of God. How many of you have experienced just the goodness of God in your life? You are a witness. Go tell somebody about it. Now let me backtrack a little bit. I have no problem going after them or going to get them or however people put it, okay? I have no problem doing that. But we are all part of that. We are the church. The, the, the leaders are not the church. The ones who preach are not the, only the church. We are all the church. We are all witnesses, regardless of your location or your vocation. You are a preacher of God's word. Let your life preach the goodness of God. I love this other quote here by Leslie uh, Newbin. He studied missiology in the church. He says, the church, I love this quote, he says, the church, it is not meant to call men and women out of the world and into a safe religious space. I love that. The purpose of the church is not to call men and women out of the world and bring them into this little cozy religious space where you could do your thing, okay? But to call them, what, out, to call them out in order to send them back, to send them back as agents of God's goodness. That's the purpose of the church, to equip the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry as it says in Ephesians 4, right? Whether you are a prophet an apostle, a pastor, a teacher, whatever your gifting, whatever your talent, your place is to come here to get equipped so that you go and be sent out to make an impact to what? To fulfill the mission of being a witness and telling people everywhere about how good God is. You are called and you are sent. There was this author, Francis DeBose. He wrote a book many years ago called The God Who Sends. And he said, believers, you are called in three ways. You are called in three ways. Two of these three ways we love. We love being called in two ways. And the third way, again, this is where we struggle. 
This is what Bose said. He said, we are first called out of. Okay, I want you to think about that. You are called out of. What are you called out of? When God comes and grabs a hold of your life, he calls you out of cycles of brokenness. He calls you out of shame. He calls you out of condemnation. He calls you out of guilt. He calls you out of general cycles of addiction. He calls you out of the lies of the enemy that have captured your heart for far too long. How many of you have experienced being called out of that life and into a new way living by the grace of God, right? We love that God calls us out. God calls you out and he brings you out of that way of living and he changes your mind and he begins to do a work in your life. We love the fact that God calls us out, out of things. Now, God doesn't finish there. God also now calls you into something. All right, so you see the process there. First, God calls you out of something and he brings you into something. What does God bring you into? God brings you into a spiritual family. God brings you into relationship with him. God brings you into a place where you now have a future, where you now have hope, where you now have uh, uh, something bigger than yourself to live for, something called purpose. God brings you into living in the truth of who you are in his eyes and not the people's eyes. How many of you have experienced being called into a relationship with God where you now, you know, this is my father. This is just not a God who sits on a throne somewhere. This is my dad. And he's there for me. He loves me. We love being called out of the horrible things. And we love being called into the good things. Now, the third thing is in order that. Okay. This is where it gets a little tricky. This is the reason why God calls you out. God calls you out in order that what? Some people here stumble because they'll say something like, well, God called me out in order that I might be happy. God called me out and into relationship with him so that I could raise great kids. God called me out of issues and into a relationship with him so I can, you know, step into earning more money and I could be my best self. And you know what? Those things might be true. But that's not the main reason why God has called you out of things. That is not the main reason why God has called you into things. God has called you in order that you might share the gospel that you might be his witnesses, that through your life, that he would receive glory through how you live, that through your story and through your testimony, others might come to know him in order that. That's why God has called you out. God has not called you out to make you happy. God has called you out to make you holy and to make you an example for people to see so you could point others to the cross, just like John the Baptist was called out in order to do what? To say, there's Jesus. Let's go all follow him. It's not about me. It's about him. Because what were people doing? They were looking at John and they were following John. And when Jesus comes, John says, I'm not even worthy to tie this dude's Nikes. He said sandals. <laughs> like, I'm not even worthy to touch this guy. and I'm going to baptize him. You know what we all need to do? Let's follow Jesus. And you have been called and you have been sent to point others to the cross and say, let's go follow him. That's why we've been called. And Romans chapter 10 just packages this so beautifully. This is Paul appealing to the church to say to live on mission. Live on mission. What's the mission? We have been sent by heaven to be witnesses to all people. 
So this is where I ask you to turn, and here we are in Romans 10, in verse 9. Paul just packages this, this so neatly for us in a way that makes perfect sense, in a way that I hope you leave here saying, God sent me. God has something he wants to do through me and in my life. It's, it's more than just my nine to five. It's more than just paying my bills. It's more than just exchanging gifts on Christmas. God has chosen me and God has sent me to be his witnesses to this world. I hope that's what you leave here with. And that's what Paul is trying to encourage people to do here. Verse nine says this, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. If you are here and you've ever wondered why at the end of service do they ask people to come over here and to pray and to make this public prayer, some of you have prayed that prayer. This is why, right here, because the word of God says this is how you are made right with God. Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth is how you are made right with God. It's not praying a prayer in this building. It's not using a formula. It's following what the word of God says. And what Paul is doing here is he's describing the path of salvation. That when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, you will be saved. Your life will be made right with God. I don't know about you, but that's good news. I have a chance to be made right with God after everything I've done? Yes, you do. How do you do it? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is who he says he is. Now you might say, well, that's awesome. We could end there. It gets better. That's how God is. That's when you think you know how good God is. He always shows you that he's better. Verse 11 says this, as scriptures tell us, anyone, anyone, who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, come on. You, you know what he's saying? He's, he's saying it doesn't matter if last night you were tore up from the floor up, okay, at the Christmas gathering. It doesn't matter if you came here, you know, with a past and a background that would make people red in the face. It doesn't matter how much you've cursed God before or how angry you've been at him or what you did to your baby mama or to your baby daddy. It doesn't matter any of that. It's a Jew, Gentile, everyone who calls everyone. You know what everyone means in the Greek? Everyone, okay? I always like that joke. I always like that joke. Uh, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. God does not care what you've done in your past, okay? He accepts you. He embraces you. Not only that, but God gives. God gives, and he gives what? He gives generously. To who? He gives generously to all, 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 all. There's, you know what, all, 
all means in the Greek? All. all. He gives generously to everyone. What does God give? What exactly does God give? God gives mercy. That means he gives you what you don't deserve, right? You deserve punishment. You deserve separation from him because we're all shady. We're all crooked. We're all bent. We're all sinners. But God doesn't give you, you know, his, his heat. God doesn't give you his punishment. What does he give you? He gives you his mercy. And he gives it generously. The Bible says every morning, every morning, his mercies are made brand new. What else did God give you? He gives you his forgiveness. Hey, your baby mama might not forgive you. Your parents might not forgive you. Your kids might not forgive you. Your teachers might not forgive you. Your coaches might not forgive you. But God will forgive you. He gives his love. He gives his love in abundance. This is not a conditional kind of like you do for me. I'll do for you kind of love. Jesus gives love unconditionally. The Bible calls it an agape kind of love. It's a love that's sacrificial, that's giving, that's not self-serving. And it's a love generally you won't find anywhere else except through him. What else does God give? God gives you healing. That means God takes your brokenness and he begins to work from the inside out to transform you and to heal you from all your pain, all your trauma. God brings you out of that way of living. Remember, he calls you out of brokenness and into a place of healing. And he does that generously. God gives wisdom. If you're confused, you don't know the next step, pray and seek God. The Bible says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask and God will give what? Generously the wisdom that you seek. God gives you courage. Some of you have been walking with your backs bent your whole life. And when you come to God, he fills you with a courage where now you could stand straight for once in your life. And you could face the people that put you down. And you could tell the liars who lied to you that no, that's not true. Because God has filled you with the courage that you need to live right. God gives that courage. And he gives it what? Generously. God gives you hope, hope for tomorrow, hope for a better future, hope for an eternity. God gives you faith to believe and trust fully in him. God gives you peace where you could sleep at night and not be filled with anxiety or being overwhelmed because you know he's on the throne. You're no longer on the throne, but he is. Praise God for that. And God gives you strength, strength for today, strength for tomorrow, strength for the moment that sometimes feels too much. Praise God that we have a God who gives generously to who? To all, to all who ask. Now Paul does something interesting here because he works backwards. I've always wondered this. Beginning in verse 14, Paul gives the plan of salvation in reverse order. In reverse order. And again, why are we here? Because Paul is trying to remind us that we are sent. That you are sent by God. That you are sent by him to share this gospel with everyone. Now look at how he works backwards. This is brilliant. In verse 14, Paul says, but how can people call on him to save them unless they believe in him? He starts with salvation. And now he's working with, from the end back. What comes before salvation? Belief. And he says, and how can they believe in him if they never hear about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? Where does this path of salvation begin? With the people who understand that they are sent. It begins when you live on mission with God to say, God, you have sent me to share this gospel. Now let's work 
backwards. Let's work backwards here. Because we are sent, then we could go and tell others about him. And once people have been told about him, then they could what? Hear about him. And once they have heard, what could they do? They could believe in him. And once they believed in him, what could they experience? The salvation of God. But none of that moves forward without a people who are what? Sent. Sent. God has sent you. And he wraps it up by saying, like the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring this good news. In the eyes of God, think of what everything God created the most beautiful things in the world, the sunsets, the colors, the valleys with the trees and the flowers and the colors and the animals and the monarch butterfly and the flamingo's coat and the majesty of the oceans. Think of all the beauty God has created, but the thing that strikes God as beautiful are people who know that they are sent. God calls you beautiful when he sees that you're living on mission for him. The church is the place where people can live on mission for Jesus. And the mission of the church is to be a people who are sent, not sent in. We're going to be sent up, but are sent out, sent out to this world to be a witness. We are all witnesses for Christ Jesus. Amen? Can we stand together?